0: Welcome. We're back in the Hustle Over Everything podcast. I'm Alex. I'm your man, Owen Osinde. And this, once again, is the Hustle Over Everything podcast, where we usually cover entrepreneurship, you Mm -hmm. know, people on the startup grind, working towards a better future. Um, But today we have a different show. Today we're covering the current events. We're covering um, the racism in America, in canada worldwide but we're focusing on america um for the specific pod and really discussing what's going what's been going on and the history behind it and where we can move forward from here um so things we're going to be covering in this pod um include george Floyd, the protests and the rise police brutality um the history of it the modern day today white privilege and black mobility and where uh, you can fit in along these lines. Um, and by no means are we saying we have the answers. Um, we're not by any means the go-to guys for all social issues. But right now what we're trying to do is have a dialogue. You know? um, on Facebook, actually, um, I posted a question of um, what would you want to know to all of our um, white counterparts? And um, we got some interesting questions. And later in the pod, we're going to talk to them as well. Um, and just speak to what um, they have to say and what questions yeah. they have. So it's going to be an interesting pod. Um, if, grab a drink, you know, um, buckle up. <laughs> we're, we're grab gonna, a
1: snack. Yeah, grab a snack,
0: is. grab a beverage, yep. you know. Um, and yeah, let's buckle up and let's um,
1: dive right in. So... Yeah, man, even before, like, I know we're covering North America, but um, overall too, like, we also know there's a lot of Black people over the world, especially in Europe, places like mm-hmm. France. A lot of people showing solidarity, mm-hmm. and um, although we're covering what we know here in North America, but we're also covering just the Black experience as well, too, for Black men and women and little boys and girls all over the world who Most go definitely. through who go through these things that we face here in North America. Agreed. Um, the post-colonialism
0: and slavery happened uh, globally. So there's Mm -hmm. a mutual experience that happens worldwide that we're going to be touching on.
1: Absolutely, Al.
0: So if you're living under under a rock, uh, the George Floyd uh, murder happened. And it's one of the most saddest events that's happened in, I I think, our lifetime. Um, There's been other murders that's been captured on camera. But this one specifically hits home, you know. Um, we talked about it before. Um, it's this really uh, gut wrenching, um, heavy event to deal with. You know, um, what was your first reaction when you when you saw this on?
1: You know, you know. First of all, I just want to send my prayers and condolences to. George Floyd's family, um, his brothers, sisters, his kids, and everybody who has to endure this pain on a different level than we do. Um, So I just want to first address that. But, you know, when this happened, when I saw the video, it was so hard for me to watch the video just because it's like this is happening again. Like this is happening again, broad daylight. Police are looking at the camera, they're seeing what's going on, and they don't give a shit. They don't give a shit that they are murdering this guy. And you have the three other officers just watching as this man is pleading for his life, saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. We've heard that so many times, so many times with other Black men who faced, you know, murder. Who who face death because police have murdered them. George Floyd is calling for his mom at his last moments. Like, you know, mom, like, mama, like, help me. He's like, I can't breathe. And the cop just has this 220-pound body on his neck. It was so sad, man. I remember like the day it happened, I was just distraught. The whole day, I could not move from it. I was just glued on social media. I was glued on CNN. I was with my mom. I was with my sisters. And I was heartbroken. And there was something about this murder that really hit home, and it really broke the straw for everybody all over the world. You know, we've seen this over and over where police murder Black men and women. It's caught on camera. It's televised. It's protested. And the police walk away with no repercussions at all, no jail time, no charges, just another day on their job, just a slap on the wrist and business as usual for them. And it's always been business as usual for them. But this George Floyd murder, just, it made me feel powerless out. You know, that's how I felt. Powerless, hopeless, searching for answers and... I was just in tears. And I remember calling you. I was just like, I couldn't work. I was like, man, I got to call all my friends because this is just, this kills. And it's so hard to work. It's hard to do anything. You just, you need a day off. You need days off just to think about it. So this week has, this past week has just been one of those days where I just, I can't sleep because I'm on my phone. At the same time, I need to stay away from my phone because it's just mentally, it's mentally heavy. and Ah man, it was just a very hopeless feeling, you know. I'm just like I live in this black skin, and I'm never gonna be able be in any other color. And this is the reality I have to deal with. And because also George Floyd could have been me, could have been you, right? No matter who we are, no matter what we do, how successful you are, even with the whole Christian Cooper, um, I believe that um, Amy Cooper, Amy Cooper, and the man who had like uh, who was bird watching. Mm-hmm. He was a Harvard graduate, very accomplished, and this guy was going to be dehumanized by police, and that's what Amy Cooper was doing. So imagine that. You've worked your whole life to be at this position where you're respected, but the cops are just going to see you as another black body that's a threat to them, and that's what kills. So that's how I felt, man. Um, And I know you have a lot to feel as well, too, so I'm curious to know how you felt when you found out the news, bro. Man, um, it was a rush of emotions. Mm-hmm.
0: I was angry, I was sad, um, I felt like like a cup overflowing, man, for real. Um, when he, when he, he called for his mom, that really hit home, man. Like I burst out into tears. Mm-hmm. Um, what also got me again, like, um, was the witness testimony on CNN. Um, hearing his recall of what happened, and hearing uh how he warned the cop that you know he's actually killing him his uh you can see him passing out you can see the the life leave him you know and you hear him call out for his mom than to hear that uh his mom passed um sometime before on the exact same day Oof, man it ripped me apart it ripped me apart it ripped me apart and it was it was more like uh insult to injury because you've seen it so much before you know it wasn't a fresh feeling it was the fact that this is happening again you know it made you made you feel really helpless. made me feel really helpless so yeah i was just angry i wanted to throw like throw shit i wanted to like punch shit and it it was a feeling of like all this rage and nowhere to go you know Mm. so that's why i started like just crying my eyes out man it was tough without a doubt yeah
1: And this has happened for so many years, so many people. I mean, I can just, you know, read off a list of names that who have been individuals who have died because they've been murdered by police. You know, so many cases we've protested, we've yelled, we've screamed, we've been told, can you protest a different way that is more peaceful? Uh, We've done that, no answers. We have showed our rage of emotions. Nothing happens. Colin Kaepernick, which we're also going to talk about soon, kneel, took a knee because he just felt like police brutality is a major thing in America and people need to talk about it and do something about it. But people who we've ha- who've happened in the past close to 15 years, you know, Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin, Philando Castile, Breonna Taylor, which happened this year, Freddie Gray, Sam Dubose. Terrence Crutcher, Alton Sterling, Jamar Clark, William Chapman, Walter Scott, Eric Harris, Tamir Rice, Akai Gurley, Michael Brown, and the late George Floyd, who just passed away last week from being murdered by Derek Chauvin, who was one of the cops who were there with the three other cops who... who, were part of this and they watched it happen and yeah so this isn't anything new this isn't anything new that we're experiencing it's something that's happened for decades and black people still continue to live through it still continue to feel the pain year after year and no justice is being served so just to really talk about the whole story again George Floyd was stopped by police because someone called the cops on him because they said he used a fake $20 bill, a counterfeit $20 bill. The cops showed up. They pulled him out of his vehicle. They dragged him out. They put, if, he's, if you watch the different angles of the camera, the they dragged him in the back of the police cruiser. You can see Derek Chauvin beating him up. You can see his wrists moving. Um in an aggressive manner, and you can just tell there's violence going on in the car, even though you can't really see what's going on, but you know what's going on. He's pulled, and now you're looking at the south side of the street, and you have George Floyd on his back with his wrists and handcuffs. He's facing down, and George Floyd has prior medical issues, prior medical issues that he's been facing for a while now. and. These, This is what's going on. So the police is on him. Derek Chauvin has his knee on his neck, on his neck, just pressing down on him. And he doesn't seem to care at all that he's killing a man. And you have three other police officers who are watching this. And as Derek is on his neck, you have two other officers holding him down as if he's going to move when he's in handcuffs and you're on top of him. Like that is what we're talking about. That is the brutality that Black people are talking about that this 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 needs to end so that's what happened so shortly after that news breaks out and uh, protesters come out and the aftermath that just went on from this story coming out and people and the video coming out is where we stand at today and you know what we're you know talking about the protests right the protests well,
0: one thing you want me to mention is that the cops have finally been charged.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Great, great point, man. Like Derek Chauvin got charged with third degree murder, mm-hmm. third degree murder out of everything. And the three other cops were still waiting on a verdict, I believe, on how to proceed with those uh, other three individuals. So yeah.
0: um, it's actually been moved up to, to second degree murder. Um, oh yeah and um i believe um yeah it's been raised to um second degree murder and the other officers have been charged oh, I think let's see
1: yeah but it's just gruesome watching that on camera i mean if you watch that yeah, I don't know how you can even watch that over and over and over. I mean, I just watched it like about three times and every time I see it come up, I just look away. Yeah, it's it's Honestly, just... it's it's disgusting. But as Alex is bringing up... Um, the, 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 the charge with manslaughter. The charge with manslaughter, right? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but... So after this, all hell breaks loose and protesters come out protesting this whole murder that just happened um after that you see a lot of riots happening Uh, not riots but a lot of looting going on buildings are being burned down i mean it was just crazy how things escalated so quick from people protesting to buildings being burned down uh looting going on in minnesota um it was just crazy just watching that just in a matter of days like the second day that whole thing happened yeah
0: Minnesota was a a sleeping lion, you know.
1: Yeah, Minnesota, out of all places, man. You know, like. Well, yeah, man. Party. Did you see it coming? I didn't see it coming at all. I didn't. I didn't see. You know, this 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 really hit hard for a lot of people. Like everybody, like this was just a catalyst for police brutality, where people are actually like, you know what. This needs to change. And that's why you can actually see social media reacting the way it's reacting. A lot of people are fed up and you can see a lot of uh, white people and other people of different races joining forces with us to really bring this thing down, bring down the whole systematic racism inequality, and actually fight for justice because they see that, wow, all these things about Black Lives Matter you guys have been talking about for years, this is what you're talking about. And people are starting to get it but then you still have those those all lives matter people who still think when you say black lives matter they still come back as a oh all lives matter and get out of here, you know.
0: Yeah. So let's let's, let's address that. Um, a lot of times we we there when someone says black lives matter they're met with all lives matter. Black lives matter isn't saying black lives matter more. It's mm-hmm. saying black lives matter too. It's very simple. I've, what keeps getting misconstrued with people, and it's insane in that it's still not being...
1: They, they, they don't grasp the
0: concept. Is, yeah, is that Black Lives Matter to T-O-O. Yeah. That just like a, a white person, an Asian person, or any other person in society, Black lives need to be treated fairly when it comes to the treatment by police officers, when it, mm. when it comes to treatment in society, Black lives Needs to matter. Um, where people get misconstrued is they're thinking that it's a matter more. And that's not the case. It's not a matter of more. It's mattering on an equal playing field. So yeah. first for the white listeners I'm asking, that's one of the questions that we've actually gotten. Um, just a nip it in the butt real quick. That is the, I guess, quick definition of why we say Black Lives Matter. It's not a more, it's a two.
1: Yeah, it's it's the best example I can give you. It's if you look at a neighborhood Mm -hmm. and you see a house is burning, right? Mm -hmm. You see a house is burning. And what we're saying is like, okay, this house is, I know your house matters, but my house is burning right now. We're going to take care of this right now right? Doesn't mean like we don't care about all your other homes There's something, but this is the more pressing issue right now. So let's take care of it. Of course, your house matters. But if my house keeps burning all the time and you don't see that as a problem, then how are you not seeing that as a problem? Like, let's take take the flames down for, for my house so people don't keep dying in this home. Let's fix the issue in this thing. It doesn't say, it doesn't mean like your house doesn't matter. So people just need to understand that. It's not about we don't care about white lies. trust me, I have white friends, you have white friends, and their lives matter. but if black people keep getting treated like roadkill by police, that's what you need to see the issue with black lives matter because when a black life gets taken away, it never gets treated with the same um what's the word level of for? respect exactly level of respect Mm -hmm. it just gets treated as it's tossed down oh you killed a black person oh don't worry about it it's just another black person like it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter um they see it as a good thing it's like oh less more less black people to deal with because there's a lot of racism that goes on
0: yeah um there's there's a, a notion that gets put forth of um a black life can be met less if they sold drugs in the past if they um committed some type of crime in the past that means that they're um so they should be subject to no due process and when if their life gets lost then it's uh a, ca- a casualty like this is part of the process part of the process and that is couldn't be farther from the truth you know um everybody deserves due process um and that's one of the main issues we see not being respected in our society you know um whether it be Canada or America
1: yeah people die every single day but whenever it's a black man or woman who's been killed by police they Mm -hmm. somehow bring cases from ages ago Mm -hmm. oh you know he used to sell weed or he was a weed smoker in high school Mm. and you're just painted as if like you're this thug this person who just did a lot of bad things so him dying it's less of these type of people it's less of you type of people on the streets that we got to deal with and that makes the white populace feel better like okay well you know he was a bad guy he did a lot of bad things so if he's dead you know that's actually good but that's what the media does. They paint these stories and they make them look as if that if a black person dies, they, they somehow bring these, as I said, these obscure cases, which have no relevancy to their actual death to really justify why the police did the right, did did, did that course of action. So one case is Trayvon Martin, um, just because he was, he, what, just, um, I don't want uh, to get my information wrong, but how old was he when he got murdered by George Zimmerman? Was he, like, around 15, 14? A teenager. Around, it was,
0: it was a, a teenager, teenager. teenager.
1: Yeah. Just a teenager, right? And he got murdered by George Zimmerman, and they somehow bring up these... underground ground laws. Exactly. Yeah. On a teenager. teenager. Like, how's that kid a threat to you? You know... Oh, I, Man. You know what was mo
0: was, was so significant about that case was you know if a, a black life was actually let me rephrase that if a white life was on a gun and someone was to give you that gun and say hey this is what uh, I'm giving this one I'm giving you this is a there's a white life on this gun do it with it as you will that person the most likely throw away that gun and say I don't want nothing to do with that
1: mm-hmm.
0: the George Zimmerman gun that was used to shoot Trayvon Martin was auctioned for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars which is absurd. It goes to show you the difference. You know, there's something, something like around trophying of killing a black man, which is insane. Just really trying to understand that. That's such a, like a trauma-causing stat to think about, you know, mm-hmm. to realize that something, someone, something that someone uses to kill you can become a trophy. Is insane. Absolutely insane. Um,
1: yeah. so
0: let's get into police brutality, man. Uh, I'm not just police brutality, um, the protests
1: and the riots. But before that, I just want to make one thing. Um, yeah. I'll make another point before we move on out. But okay, it's like when when a white person who you know how we're just painted as these animals on on by the media, you see all these cases of white people who go shoot up churches, mosques, and Get, they don't get killed by these cops, right? You look at Dylan Roof. He goes and murders a whole church. And some of the cops bring him out alive. They tie him. They they handcuff him. Then they give him water. And then what does the news say? Like, oh, you know, he's just a kid with mental illness. Uh, he didn't really have any bad problems. He just had a bad time. And he decided to take it out on people. And that's all we hear about it. That's all we hear about this white face that killed people and he doesn't really get put on as a thug. It's something that has to do with like a mental problem. And that's the shit I'm, I'm tired of is when a white person does a crime or who does something so bad, who murders people, uh, they get treated as if this is just part of like a mental issue. It's not like a, a, like them as like a white person, you know, like that's the privilege that they get. And you look at like their headshots, their, their their mugshots, sorry, and it's just like a human, right? They show him like in in their family and everything. And I remember that one rape story about that kid in Stanford, up in California. He raped a girl behind the dumpster, and I think his dad was 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 up there in power, like he had like some he had some role in society, like a powerful I position. A lawyer, I believe a lawyer, yeah. right? And then. He gets a couple of months of community service. That was like his, his uh, slap on the wrist type of thing. But that, That's the slap on the wrist punishment he gets. He doesn't even face any punishment at all, like a, a year, two years in jail. And I watched that and like the picture they used to really describe this guy is just like he, they're showing him in his Stanford swimming gear Brock Turner was his name Brock Turner Yep. it was
0: released after serving six month a six month sentence for sexual assaulting an unconscious woman at Stanford University (sighs)
1: so you know people who are listening like this is what we're talking about right it's these are the things that you see us protesting about and you can see us angry about and that's just just to like show you like what we're talking about with police brutality and the things we're dealing with. So let's talk about the protests. Correct? That's what you wanted to get to, right? Yes, it's good. It's good. let's dive into the protests. Let's get into it. What did you think about the protests? I think... It started off smart,
0: you know, demanding that the... Um, that the police officers were, were to be arrested and that they need to be charged because um, firing was never enough. Um, I think it got out of hand with the riots that started out of it. But now looking at history and looking at some evidence that's come up on social media, there has, the, it feels like they're being fed misinformation. Okay. Because yeah. um, there's bricks that start, start showing up out of nowhere. Um, there's um, white people that are being caught looting and robbing and inciting violence. Um, and even uh, actual KKK members joining um, rights to incite a race war. Mm-hmm. Um, at least it's what I've seen um, um, on my end when I, so I could be lied to, but that's what I've seen on my end um, when I'm looking at these riots, um how they're starting. Um, and what's not being reported as well is the police that have also started and provoked the protesters. Um, this is being shown repeatedly through social media, but it's not being reported on. Um, now, do I agree with the rioters and the looters in my my response to that is it's hard for me to agree it's hard for me to disagree either because we've seen in hist historically protests not work colin kaepernick peacefully protested and was called a son of a bitch by the president and was chastised and blackballed risked his whole career risked his whole career you know so how can we look to that as what oh, we can do? Even if you look at historically, a lot of people bring Martin Luther King up. He was hosed. He was shot and killed.
1: Yep. You know? A lot of black leaders, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, um, you know, the late, great Muhammad Ali, he fought for these things. He mm-hmm. fought for these. And he, as much as these men fought, as much as, as, as great as they were, as much power and gravitas these men carried they their pain we're still living that pain in 2020
0: yeah so to say that the looters are wrong um to think that the peaceful protest would get as much energy from the media and as much attention is i don't know if i can say that i'd i'd, I'd see that i don't know if all this all these looters would garner the same amount of tension as
1: a peaceful protest would Mm -hmm. you know i mean we've we've seen these peaceful protests we've seen martin luther king um urging for the black community to be peaceful and and show like this peacefulness towards white people and protests and everything and he was so powerful and he caused a lot of change he he made a lot of people stop taking the bus, don't take the taxis, let's take away, uh, let's not be there economically and, and feed into the economic system. Let's not take the bus, let's not take the taxis. And it worked. And a lot of laws were passed that allowed black people to really come back into society and also you know, integrate themselves and not face as harsher um, penalties for just for being black. Right, so when we go back to now, and a lot of people are protesting, and you'd have white people saying, Why don't you find a peaceful way to protest? Right, how about first and foremost educate yourself on all the protests that have happened historically before you say such an ignorant statement? And it goes back to the post I posted the other day about peaceful protests. Right, a lot of people say do you have to act like that? Which, Alex, you were talking about right here, the riots and these looting that's going on. You have to understand that this is, you know, Martin Luther King, it's not like it was hundreds of years ago. Like this is back in the 1940s. It's not too long ago. There's people who still live today. Um, They're they're sons sons and daughters of parents who lived through this time. And they can say, yeah, I was there. I marched with uh, Dr. King. So the quote of Dr. King, he was in the burning Birmingham jail. And one of the quotes that I want to bring up from this letter that he wrote out was, which still hits me, which is so relevant today. He says, first, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride towards freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, quote, I agree with you in the goal you seek, But I cannot agree with your methods of direct action. Who potentially believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a quote-unquote more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection beautiful quote man beautiful quote so when a lot of like people who don't really get it they say can you just find a peaceful way to protest it's like they just don't want to deal with that tension they want to just have like a what he said a comfortable peace then to have tension which is gonna drive justice and my take on the whole looting and rioting, i don't care I honestly don't care because if the first thing you think about is like, that's not the way to get the protest, that's not to get the peace, then what the hell is going to get your attention, right? If people are actually now angry and they're rioting and looting and everything, then what gives? And that's the thing you have to ask yourself. If Colin's protesting bothered you and it was a peaceful way and now we're protesting again, and all this rioting and looting that's going on with the fighting with the police is bothering you, then the problem is with you because you don't really want to fight for justice. You don't really see. you know what? I see what you're doing. I see the changes that you're trying to push forward. You only care about the methods just so like you can hear it, move on with your life peacefully, but you don't want to be bothered because it makes you feel some type of way because you are part of the oppressive system that's doing it. It's so annoying, man.
0: Most definitely. Very annoying. So now let's kind of take a step back and look at like the history of police brutality.
1: let's get to that.
0: You know, um, one thing you mapped out was was slave patrols. You know, Mm -hmm. you want to speak to that?
1: Yeah, so, you know, police brutality... It's just not something that's happened right now. I mean, right now, like we're seeing it just because our camera phones are on us and we can really videotape these things that have happened to Black people, a lot of murders by police. It's because we have smartphones in our pockets and we can instantly pull them out and start recording these things. But this George Floyd case is not the only case that has been televised and protested at this such degree. There's also the Rodney King, which happened three decades ago in 1992 when these three officers got acquitted for beating up Rodney King and they got away for free. They got, they got away with no charges, no nothing. And after that, this, that, after that whole acquittal, the whole area, Los Angeles, everywhere started writing because they believed that they needed justice. Before that, Three decades, in 1965, there were also riots with Marquette Fry. You know, he was pulled over for being suspected for drunk driving, and the same thing happened, and the same rioting happened over and over again. So now, these, you have to look at the time to really get the word out. It takes a lot of people coming together to really fight for what they believe in. And now you have to think about, there are no camera phones at the time, How many of these cases, how many more George Floyds exist out there? Hundreds of cases that have happened. Going back in time, a lot of Black people lived in fear every single day of their lives because segregation, Jim Crow, all these things were in place and really living your life as a Black individual was extremely tough. So we have to talk about the history of this whole police brutality and how it happened. So back during slavery, there were people who were called slave patrols. So slave patrols were not your typical cops. These are people who volunteered their time. They volunteered their energy to really make sure that slaves were kept in order, that they didn't rebel against their master and they could do anything. They had the right to do anything they can come into your house and their job was to if you if they suspected you held a slave in your house they would just come in search it search for that slave and bring it back so they searched for people who escaped they punished slave workers who you know they thought that had they thought that violated the plantation rules and the start of these slave patrols started in the early 1700s so now Why does that matter to our current events right now? So back when slave patrols were happening, this is where a lot of um, KKKs, a lot of slave patrols were making sure that Black people were staying in line. So their attitude from a historic attitude is they felt their role was to make sure that Black people stayed in line. So this was the only way of work The only line of work you can go into, if you feel like you were to want to make sure Black people stayed in line, you'd be a slave patrol. So patrols became common law enforcement, and this began in the early 19th century. They started first in Boston, then they went to New York, places like Albany, Chicago, and Philly, and they're generally white males, and they're focused on just responding to disorder rather than crime. So they're not really responding to crime, but just disorder. But the reason they're focusing on disorder is they were just expected to control the dangerous underclass because they believe that white people are so pure, so clean and pristine that they're not going to cause any crime. So let's focus on the people who are going to cause most disorder. And who are these people? African-Americans, immigrants, and the poor people who who are living uh, during this time. So these factors, you know, controlling disorder, you know, lack of adequate policing, um, Training and everything, you know, like these slave origins that led the the slave origins with the slave patrols led to what policing is today, and man, it just this thing is a historic battle that we're continuing to face every single day because of what happened in prior history. It's the attitude of racism that shaped police brutality, and that's why you see a lot of cops when they get. When they find out about about these people, what their backgrounds, what their train of thinking is, they're usually racist people who are involved in the KKK. They have hidden agendas of why they join the police forces because being a cop is your easiest way to exhort your power on marginalized individuals and get away with it. You know what I'm saying, Al? Yeah. Like this, this is why this is what people need to understand. This is how police brutality is all about because you join the force to really make sure like there's you're you're keeping the people in check and white people have always had this thing of keeping people in check when i even start with slavery and people volunteering to make sure that white people were i mean black people were staying in line and staying beneath them and them being our superiors and you can see it in many different forms in In modern day.
0: Yeah. Man, uh, one question that we got that was so I don't even know how to word it. I don't know if I'll say telling, it was an interesting question. The question was, um, what do you think the root of racism is? You know? Um, what do you think actually when I ask you that? What do you think the root of racism is? What comes to mind?
1: The root of racism is is due to economics, bro. I mean, I always say it's not like they hate us, but we were brought here
0: on In slave business.
1: ships and business. It was a it was a it was a it was labor that was brought to build America for free. And the only reason they had us is because they had tools and guns that they can use on us if things got out of hand. So that's the root of racism. Racism, people need to understand, is tied to economics in every single kind of way. That's my answer. And you can really think about it from every single thing, from equity to healthcare to businesses to labor and what it did and how it really helped white people advance in in society. Racism is all due to uh, economics. Of course, you have your hatred for black people, but everything is tied to in my opinion, when you really look at like everything that goes on with racism, inequality is tied to economics, right? Mm-hmm. Living. It's, it's, your, it's like having an economic advantage. And you know, we, we as black people are so far behind the generational wealth gap. And it's all due to racism and slavery that happened uh, over the past 200 years, 200 to 400 years.
0: Yeah, um, I agree. I agree. It's economics. Um, racism is big business. And um, also one thing I realized is that um, we were the one of the only times where people were putting science behind their racism, mm-hmm. um, where they were trying to say that it was like an evolutionary trade. You know, I remember the seeing studies in school talking about Black people having smaller brains mm-hmm. um, and really trying to use racism as a tool for um, rationalizing economic gain, you know. Um, racism was combined with um, rationalizing economic gain through science and religion, you know, um. And that was like the power force to drive racism faster than more other cultures. Cause we're not the only people on um, culture to have slavery. You know, the mm-hmm. Irish were enslaved. Um, I don't know, I think the Egyptians were enslaved as well, you know, um, but the combination of religion and science and economics was a powerhouse for driving racism, you know? Mm-hmm. Let's get back into the Wreckly Scheduled program, man. So uh, let's, let's dive into Jim Crow. You know, um, uh, it's, it's a crazy history when you think about the Jim Crow laws that were in place, man. Oh, you want to talk about
1: it? Absolutely, man. So Jim Jim Crow laws were, um, there were a collection of state statutes that, you know, that legalized racism, that legalized racial segregation. So they existed for about 100 years from the post-Civil War era. And from the post Civil War, it meant that marginalized African Americans, they can't, they don't have the right to vote, they can't hold jobs, they can't get an education or other opportunities. And if you try to defy these things that were placed under these laws, they're going to be harsh jail sentences, there's going to be violence, and ultimately, you're going to end up killed. So these laws were placed on people and imagine not being able to have an education imagine not being able to do anything just because these laws were placed on you so another thing that comes from these things were just black these things called black codes so what these black codes meant they were they were placed to show how formerly enslaved people where they could work and for how much compensation. So they appeared through the South as a legal way just to put black citizens into uh, indentured servitude, taking their voting rights away, controlling where they lived, where they traveled, uh, the children they have, and how white people can use them for labor purposes. So during this time when Jim Crow was around, you know, violence was just on the rise like crazy. So living life as a black person during the Jim Crow, uh, during Jim Crow was just extreme. imagine just walking outside and a white person, a group of white people seeing you and immediately you're in danger because you don't know what they're going to do to you. And this was just an aspect of regular American life. Schools are vandalized. uh, They're destroyed. Anything that you build a business, whatever it is, white people just can come in and destroy it because they feel as if like they have a right to do that. You know, they tortured people, lynched Black people at night. Black people were hung at doing, uh, during this time. So you're placed in, 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 in neighborhoods that there's no economic advancement at all. You can't vote. You can't get an education. So you, you don't even know anything. You're being plucked for labor. And this is your life. This is how you're living. And then you get into the KKK. You know, KKK was a secret society that was just terrorizing Black communities and seeping through just the Southern culture, you know? And the thing about the KKK, they just had the, they had the highest number of government officials in this group. So you have your, your government official chilling in the office at night, ruling, doing government work. And then at night, they come in the KKK clan. So Ku Klux Klan, that's what the KKK stands for. And they'll go find black people, kill them, lynch them, uh, torture their homes, burn their homes down, and get away with it. That's how life was for black people. So this anger black people have, they still live with it from this time. They still live with these laws that exist in that time like that mentality is just you're scarred forever. it's passed on generations so it's generational, generational trauma passings, yeah. exactly. And it's just so sad. It's so sad. Like a lot of, you know, I see on Twitter a lot, people talking about, you know, my grandma, my grandfather told me these things that, you know, what's happening with George Floyd now. My grandfather said, you know, I never saw it like this. Or I remember this time they did this to us. I remember living through this. You know, these are stories that are passed down from generation to generation. Like we're living through that today, man. Um, Yeah, man. That's Jim Crow, bro. One
0: question we actually got a lot, a lot of was, uh, "What's white privilege? Could you break it
1: down for us?" Mm-hmm. Man, white privilege. <laughs> I so, mean, bro, this, We can go. We can go. We can go a lot of places with white privilege. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What What is white privilege? White privilege to you? To me, white privilege is
0: uh, the benefit of the doubt. Um, it's um, being taken seriously. You know, one thing I can speak to was, um, as an entrepreneur, you know, when I was first getting started, I first got my client, um, in one of the more expensive sides of town. So I was like, okay, cool. I got one client. Now let's go get some more. So I literally went across the street from the client that I had and he had a big ass store. So I'm like, all right, if you, if. You're on the street. You 100% know who he is. He's literally right in front of you. So I go to the store right in front of, right in front of it. Um, and it's like a boutique, like a fashion boutique. And I, I walk in and the lady first eyes me like, um, I don't belong there. And I kind of don't. I can give her that. I don't. I'm a, I'm a big black male. Um, and the store is a woman's boutique, you know? Very unusual. Uh, very, it's a, bit, it's a bit,
1: unusual. You know, it's like hey,
0: hey, what's hey, this guy doing here?
1: Hey, you know, Al, bro, you you never smile either, bro.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not, I'm the, the biggest smiler, You know, you're I mean, when I'm selling, smil- I'm smiling. I give yeah. you, I say that when I'm selling, I'm smiling. I'm a, I'm a happy guy when I'm when yeah, I'm, uh, your, I'm.
1: Your salesmanship smiling. shows up when you're when you're when you're selling when you're selling. Most your services. definitely, most yeah. definitely. When I'm selling services. I'm, I'm a quite a nice, quite a nice guy.
0: Exactly. Um, but. Getting back into it, um, I know I, I had a quick conversation. Let's introduce myself. I know, of course, I'm not, as a salesman, I'm not trying to uh, try and close immediately. You should wanted want to introduce myself, and that I did. You know, um, then I, I went off and I said, "Hey, I'm I'm working across the street," um, and she was nodding. Um, I believe this woman was like maybe Eastern European. You know, um, I come back another day, and. Uh, I come, walk up to the cashier. That's where she's standing. And she's helping a customer out. So of course, like I, I do my own thing. I'm just walking around and waiting. And I come back and the customer's done. And she would not even look at me,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know? Um, and her social associate comes up to him and is like, um, oh, I can hear her literally whisper. "What is he, What does he want? What, is it, what does he want? And I'm like, what the heck? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, and she just turns to me slightly and looks under her glasses, you know, like the old parents, the like, old parents
1: like do. the librarian look. I call oh, it old librarian
0: look. Um, <laughs> like, we don't we don't buy Bell. I'm like, right what? What's going? What's going on here? Hold on, buy Bell, like, I don't have nothing to do with Bell. She thinks because I'm a black man with glasses that I work for Bell Internet. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where her her mind's going in her head, you know? And even though I had explained to her previously, she was tuning me completely out. And just like
1: this black guy's talking to me. I'm just gonna tune out and nod were and you, smile. Were you wearing a bell, like a blue shirt or something? Just no. like nothing at all. You're wearing normal street clothes. I was wearing a shirt and tie. I was wearing a shirt and tie because because the the store I was
0: um a client with, that was my client, sorry, I was um a high-end menswear store. So mm-hmm. I was like, all right, I'm going to a store that's, um, you know, in the high-end realm, let me dress the part. Look professional. Yeah, stay professional. You know, yeah. I, th- I thought that mattered at the time, you know. Um, so, yeah, so I was, like, shocked by that. And then she was like, we are not buying, but i like, hey, I don't have anything to do with the bell. Then I was like, hey, what I actually want to help you with is, like, is your social media. You have really bad social media. And of course I say it like that, but I said it, you know, in in, uh uh helpful critique standpoint. And she wasn't even listening to what I was saying. Um, and she was she basically said to me, like, no matter what you're selling, because of what you look like, we are not buying, you know. Um and that was like a telltale moment for me. And it was, it was tough at first. It was like, like she's not, she didn't even look at me like a human. You know, she looked at me like a lower part of society. You know, uh, this person is trying to swindle me because of what he has. There was no benefit of the doubt. You know, not, hey, let me give this guy five minutes of my time to actually hear him out. It was, uh, whatever you do, we're not interested. Please leave. You know, and that happens. That happens. Um, so I've had many experiences along those lines of people just taking you, taking me for a joke, not giving me the benefit of the doubt. So I learned how to pr- properly maneuver myself as an entrepreneur, and that's what I think white privileges is. this that benefit of the doubt. I know it's a bit of a long-winded uh, speech. You know, it's, story, it's time. story
1: time, bro. Yeah, man, you gotta, <laughs> but, you gotta explain it, man.
0: Yeah, but that's kind of a, a, an example of what white privilege is like. Mm-hmm. Um versus the opposite, you know? Um, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think first thing to really break down white privilege, white privilege is essentially an invisible force. You can't, it's not something you see, it's not something you can touch, but it's a force that exists within interactions mm-hmm. and different synergies that you know it's there, but you can't really pinpoint and really classify to say that is white privilege. It's just you can feel it. It's a it's something that I look, you look at it, you know those feelings you can get within your stomach. It's like a it's like a feeling like, boom, I feel like something's happening right now. Someone walks in a room it's an energy and it just hits you in the core. That's how white privilege, when you notice it, you feel it. And white people can't feel that force, but black people and other minority groups as well get marginalized know what that feeling is like so the best way to really look at white privilege is for white people this is what i'm talking about is the privilege you get is for example being able to walk into a store and find that the main shampoo uh for example like for women the pantyhose are catered for your hair there's catered for your skin tone and it's being able to show on the tv and just seeing people of your race widely presented it's these things that you walk in there and you don't even have to think of going to like the ethnic aisle because you have to think of products for your hair it's you expect your your you expect to be served just because this is your world this is the world you exist in so to first really understand why privilege bro we gotta understand racism right? So racism is due to bias. And racism happens when that bias translates into action. So for example, a person might unconsciously or consciously believe that a person of color is more likely to commit a crime or be dangerous. You know, that's a bias. You know, a person, a white person can become anxious if they perceive a Black person to be angry. That stands for bias again. And these biases become racism through a number of actions, you know, which come from many different things from individual level to also group level. So this can be a person, a white person crossing the street just to avoid walking to a group of young Black guys. It's a person calling like 9-11 to report the presence of a Black person who is quote-unquote behaving, uh, not behaving lawfully example amy cooper calling the cops on christian cooper because he told she he told her to put her dog on a leash and she immediately calls the cops on him right because this is like a big black man she feels in danger and i want to call the cops it's police shooting an unarmed black person because
0: it wasn't her feeling in danger. It was it was her trying to get back at him for making her feel it, stupid.
1: You know and and it, it's being it's it's the fact that that's racist is because she knows she can call the cops, mm-hmm. and the cops are gonna take care of this. Okay. You know that's why she's like, "I'm calling the cops. I'm calling them. There's an African American man, and they and they're calling me. I, I, I'm calling the cops." And there she's choking her poor dog. <laughs> Like, yeah, she, she's hey, forgot everything. Like, let me go, Fountain. Let me go, that. Oh <laughs> like, God. let me go. Yeah. Right? That's, that's what we're talking about. Like, that's, like, you know, being able to do that because you, you know, for, for the example I was saying, police shooting a Black person because they feared for their life. They don't have to give it a second. It's even reaching for the dashboard in your car to get your documentation. They believe they're you're reaching for a gun. So you live on a very short leash as a Black person. It's a jury finding a, a person, a black person guilty of a violent crime, despite scant evidence that there's evidence that shows like there's no way I did this thing, but you're immediately found guilty because you're black. Yep. It's we get it. We get it. You know, like another example, bro. It's also like people investigating black and Latino activities rather than investigating white supremacist activities, right? It's they'd mm-hmm. rather do that. So Racism rely on what sociologists call racialization. So it's grouping people and physical difference, skin tone, and this fuels that bias and becomes a tool to justify the cruel treatment and discrimination of, you know, non-white people. So this gets interesting, bro. So what is what is really like white privilege, you know? Essentially, it's like a double whammy because when you say white, it creates discomfort because... It's not really used to define their race. And then you have privilege, which doesn't really exist for a lot of white people, especially rural white people, because that doesn't apply to them. So we got to define what white privilege is not. So white privilege is not suggesting that white people have never struggled. That's not what white privilege is. It's not assuming that everything white people have done or accomplished is not earned. White people work hard. There's no, us as a business podcast, we know that, Anything to accomplish anything takes a lot of hard work. It just doesn't get given to you, but it can be placed to you if it was generational wealth, which you got through the labor of Black people earlier on who allowed you to advance yourself and you built that wealth off those people, you can pass it on. But generally, a lot of people in modern times, they work hard, but they have an, an advantage which what you're getting at here. So white privilege is viewed as a built-in advantage um, as well we're also going to define it it's it's separate from income and effort so over the years white privilege has taken different meanings such as having a greater access to power and resources than people of color so now you know white privilege is more psychological it's like white it's a white people's lack of awareness that that they have held this power and it can be found in day-to-day transactions and in white people's ability to move through professional and personal worlds with relative ease just because they're white. Man, what do you think of that? I know I'm going out on uh like in your bag right now. I'm in my bag right now and I'm talking about it, but you know, I'm gonna let you chime in here.
0: Most definitely. Um, you know, one thing that we didn't really touch on is white privilege in the workplace, you know. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that really testifies to is, when it comes to tokenism, when it comes to, um, <clears throat> sorry, when it comes to um, applying for a job, you know, on your resume, what name is actually on the resume and being taken seriously, you mm-hmm. know, uh, white privilege comes uh, full force then. And it's almost, and there's a anti-black, um, Privilege that comes into not privilege, but um, bias that comes into it. Because a lot of times when they're applying for a job, um, Jamal can have the same uh, name, or sorry, same experience and um, uh, assets under his belt as a Tim, but uh, because of the name, there's a bias that's placed upon the Jamal. Um, and even it can work for Verushika uh, or... Uh, um, ming lee you know um because yeah. there's no a bias that other races can a, can actually uh get the job done mm-hmm. where other races cannot um and this is a unfortunate bias that happens in real life you know um so that's what i think contributes to white privilege is the assumptions um of who can do what
1: mm-hmm. yeah man. Y- yeah man it's like That's another interesting thing, man. It's being able to just go through life with so much ease and you don't even, you're not aware that you have this privilege at all. Um, And the fact that you can actually say, what is white privilege? And the fact that you're asking that means that you're living off the privilege of what white privilege is. So another thing we taught you bring about is actually in the workplace, right? White people, of course, they have a lot of businesses they own. They have there's institutional racism, which you know, white privilege is a part of. An example is a lot of white companies, a lot of predominantly white companies. If you were to like ask for a reference from a friend, it'll, re- it'll usually be from like a white person in that business, and who are they gonna hire? They're gonna they're gonna use your reference, who's a white person, to. You bring in another white person because they don't really associate with black people and they have an in to that company. It's your dad or mom working at a company in a higher position than the regular, not the regular, but from other groups and they can easily get you an internship in these different firms because they have that white power structure that exists. The relationships. The relationships. So there's a lot more economic opportunities and it's this power dynamic that exists. That's what white privilege is and it continues to endure today. And this blocks out a lot of Black people from accessing these opportunities because they don't have Black people that look, there's no Black people in these spaces. There's no Black executives. There's no Black people on boards. There's a lot of companies that, Put out a lot of horrible and tasteless commercials or campaigns, and easily they could have not have that out if they had people of color in there diversity. And now, of course, diversity is being pushed out because there's a lot more pressure to have more diverse workforces. But they don't know where to start, and the fact that they don't know where to start is like now you got to have a diversity officer, chief diversity officer because they don't know what to do because all they know is just like hire for the best person. But you don't know, you have a lot of implicit biases that exist because you know like a black person, you have a bias that, oh, these people are lazy or they can't get the job done. So you ha- you're blocking them out from that opportunity. And you'd rather take the white person because they make you feel comfortable in the workplace. You're comfortable working with them because even though they might not have it, it's just, I, I'd rather not take that risk than, yeah, you'd rather not take that risk to bring a black person.
0: Yeah, that's unfortunate. I mean, things are changing there. You know, like like you mentioned, there is more diversity training mm-hmm. and diversity hires. Um, uh, a thing you have to be careful of is tokenism. Um, because a lot of companies are starting to hire, but it won't be for senior positions. It'll be for mid level management or. Um, low level beginning positions, but then when it comes to um, actual high ranking positions where they start to have power in the company, you start to uh, feel a glass wall or, yeah, a glass wall um, where they continuously feel like they're not getting promoted or moved up because um, of the race. So a lot of times it's not, it's a boys' club or um, it's a uh, specific. They are like us type of bias that goes towards uh, hiring versus not hiring, or just the relationship. A lot of times, um, because someone is different and doesn't relate to them, or want what to go out for a drink, they really don't relate to them, so they they can't see themselves promoting them, which is mm-hmm. unfortunate. And it's just um the fuckery that we go through on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, um, it's a lot of um, you know the bro culture that exists with within our age group. And then, you know, people like my parents as well too, you know, my dad worked; he had a high position at a, at a company. And, you know, he was like one of the only black, he was on, the only black man in that position as a CFO of this um, is called, uh, I don't want to put the name out there, but they made airplanes and he was a CFO of this company. And you would tell me like, you know, it's so hard to really he comes from Kenya, it's African, you know, he, he's not a lot about like the chit chat, all these, you know, side ch- chatters and everything like that. It's very broy still, even though, you know, you're getting in that mature level in your career, but it's like these types of cultures that exist, which block other people from coming in that organization and feeling as if they fit in. So that's why one of the things that I hate with now is this term called culture fit. Have you heard that term? Mm-hmm it's culture fit is a is a quick way to disqualify. really dis, disqualify someone
0: mm-hmm. right
1: so you have a qualified individual who wants to work there but then they ask is he a good culture fit you know he's like i think you'll be great for the culture meeting. i feel like you'll be able to crack we'll be able to talk and crack jokes which might not seem i mean when i say they're cracking jokes but they'll feel comfortable around you. And what's feeling comfortable is being able to fit into the whiteness that you're coming into. And that's what a good culture fit in. A Black person is not going to fit in that. Uh, any other person, an Indian person.
0: Pardon? Uh, I mean, I mean th- sometimes they do, and that's what breeds um, That's what breeds um, code switching, you know, mm-hmm. is switching. Oh, my God, Yes. Yeah, switching to make that person feel comfortable, to feel like you are the culture fit, you know. Um, and, you know, we've even experienced it where we realize that the person isn't uh, as much of a uh, culture fit for us, so we start adapting to them mm-hmm. because we feel like we want to make them comfortable, you know. Um, adapt yeah. What the, the the so-called norm is when it comes to um business, you know
1: it's it's black people have to like switch up every single time they're around white people. You can't be black. It's you have to talk in a way that makes them feel comfortable. And, you know, I don't know what to really, I, I know where I'm going with this, but what I'm saying is even us as black people, as black men, is we really have to watch ourselves a lot, is we really have to always be on our toes to make sure that, we're not crossing the line. If I'm angry, it's I have to be angry and be politically correct at the same time. And you see this in, uh, in whatever, football. Like Tom Brady, he's there angry and whatever. It's like he's showing passion, quote, unquote. If a black person does it, he's acting like a clown. He's showing uh, he's not really being a, a good team player. You know, you know, when a black person dances, or they're like they're angry, they're showing emotion and everything. He's mm-hmm. just like, whoa! It's like that angry black man type of stereotype they get. But then someone like Tom Brady or like another white player is like, wow, look at that passion they're showing on the on the thing. That is what winning looks like. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's it's these type of stereotypes that you have all the time. Black women, I know, I have sisters. It's you gotta talk in a way that you don't come across as like the angry black woman uh Hmm. quote a stereotype but you don't want to turn as ghetto oh my gosh i like like he just like she just went ghetto on us type of thing
0: yeah 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 another Um, woman will actually use it um to become edgy or um cool they'll use the colloquialisms and the um the way of talking Mm-hmm. This is uh, cool to fit in or to, to be that edgy, cool white girl, Asian girl, brown girl. But then when it comes to actually standing up for issues of that culture, some, a lot not are silent, you know, mm-hmm. um, this one thing that, um, we could know, you know, for, well, we'll get to it, but you know, one thing to be mentioned, if you're using the culture, you know, in your regular day language, um, be sure to, uh, be responsible when uh issues like uh, the george floyd situations come up um you know take responsibility and keep the same energy throughout
1: Mm -hmm. a lot of things we do and produce we are the culture american culture is black culture plain and simple yeah everything from music to sports to what's cool what's in what are the new dances what's the best way to dress it all comes from, a lot of the time, Black women. Black women are the majority trendsetters that you see in culture right now. Uh, what's cool in music, uh, what's cool in sports, it's all Black culture. Everything is derived from Black culture, from food, music, fashion, everything, you name it. So you as a white person, if you're always benefiting from this culture, and also as your, if you profit from Black culture the most you can do is like if you're doing that, why not just pay it forward? But if you see something is wrong, you call it out. Call it out. Do something about it. Donate. Understand what the what the culture is all about. What people are facing. Don't just their profit. Enjoy everything that Black people are producing and making it fun for you to live. But not do. It, but be mum when things come up and it's time to actually speak. Up. Be mum. Yeah, you haven't heard that before? No, let's be mom. It's it's like kind of just like, like mom, like you're just uh, quiet. quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I've never heard that phrase before. I've, I've, I've been waiting. I was I've been waiting to use you that word. Wait to drop that forever. You, you know it's one of them ones where it's like you write a couple you know, freestyle you write a couple of freestyle bars and then you're just waiting for that day, like you're actually in a freestyle battle with your boys. Yeah, like yo, I'm 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 pulling out this verse. I don't know. Mom, <laughs> mom is your freestyle battle word. You know what I'm saying? It's one of them words that I you I read in books, and uh, there's no time to use it. But I don't know. I just felt inspired right now to use. That you, word. Have to you have to drop it. I gotta it. drop it, bro. Yeah, I yeah I gotta drop that word. I'm feeling inspired.
0: Oh, you all right so we just covered white privilege um let's get into entrepreneurship you know mm-hmm. segue kings you know very kings. hard very hard segue but um <laughs> how do you how do you find being an entrepreneur as a black man what has been your experience um in the last let's say two to three years
1: um I, it's, it's interesting because being a black entrepreneur and I got to start saying this, my history in entrepreneurship, if you don't really know me, I started being an entrepreneur from around grade 11 when I started my first brand called Recruit Sportswear, built that brand for about three years and then I shifted to tech and this is where I really realized how racism And white privilege, going back to that, really plays into it. So when you think about a technology entrepreneur, you think of a white male. Uh, They're around late 20s to mid 30s. If they live in America, they most likely went to a prestigious school like Stanford or Harvard. So when you think of these like white entrepreneurs, a lot of them who have built su- successful companies like Zuckerberg, uh, Jack Dorsey, all these, Kevin Sinstrom from Instagram, all these entrepreneurs, they went to great schools. So when you're a tech entrepreneur, this is the framework that they use to really see if you're a great entrepreneur or not. And if you're a black person, they don't really see you as a, tech entrepreneur so think about tech entrepreneurs can we really name black like let's say 10 black tech entrepreneurs who are well known
0: all right uh we got mr bevel tristan uh, walker tristan walker we got fleeting dry fleeting you know uh is he well known decent decent um that is got, uh pierre Laguerre. Pierre Laguerre. Um, I'm trying to think who else we got. Um I, I I'd say the Bajanista, Tiffany um Alice. I'd say um who else can I name? Tech entrepreneur, black tech entrepreneurs, the CEO of Afrotech, CEO of Black Um Morgan uh, Duban. I will say Morgan DeBron is a tech entrepreneur for sure. For sure. Doing a programmatic ads. As soon as you do with programmatic ads, you're definitely a tech entrepreneur. Uh, Morgan DeBron, I will say Jabril Goro. I'd say, um, Jamal Conner. Uh, I mean, he has a product, but he also has a Facebook ads company. Uh, so I'm at six. Um, I'm like drawing at strings now. What else we got? Uh, I think that's all I can really think of to the tech, black tech entrepreneurs. Yeah. What's you got?
1: You got any? Does his name sound? Um, um, I know this guy, he's called, he's building a company called Listener. His name is Ronnie.
0: Yes. Um. Oh, you know, I'm thinking about Idris Sandu. Yes. Spatial
1: Labs. Sandu. And, and the, the founder and owner of Calendly is a Nigerian entrepreneur ah yes, yes yes you know who else do we have
0: man the ceo of chase as well so
1: that's not really tech that's an that's executive more exactly that's, yeah but man this is yeah, see this this is the problem we have here the fact that we have to think this hard <laughs> shows a lack of representation in tech so there's not a lot of tech entrepreneurs and me at the time building sneaker deck, I'm a black entrepreneur in university building a tech platform. I'm the black founder of it. So when you're talking to people and you're talking to people who have influence in the tech community, they're surprised that you're a tech entrepreneur because a lot of black entrepreneurs, they're building businesses in the service space or in the food space or they usually fall or in the fashion space more than anything, but they're not really building tech companies, which is where a lot of the scalability happens really fast. So when I was really building sneaker deck, I'd really get a lot of side eyes. A lot of people didn't really take me that serious when I used to talk to them earlier on. Um, there was like an energy that you'd feel that, you do not belong in this space. And I used to feel this when I used to go to like the DMZ upstairs and I used to like interact with all these other companies. It's as if like they felt like you did not belong in that space. They did not really see you as a founder, you know? So these these type of side commentaries, when you meet people, they're surprised that you're building a tech company because there's not a lot of Black people building a tech company. These are like what, These are the things that as Black men and women, we have to overcome as being entrepreneurs. So when you're building a company as an entrepreneur and you're Black, there's a lot of disadvantages you face, especially if you're building in tech, if you're building a tech company. One of the big ones is access to funding and loans and exposure. Uh, In tech, it's a very white community. It's a very, very white community. I don't want to pull out stats out of nowhere, but I know more than ninety percent of angel and not angels, but VCs, venture capitalists, are white. Majority of them are men, and getting access to these communities is very tough for Black people. You don't know where to go to find these VCs because the VC community is very uh, relationship based, right? They'll invest in you if they know about you. And how do they know about you from other angels who've invested in you? And for Black people to crack in this space, even Black women more than anything, it's super hard to get in there because you're not really someone they see themselves with or they talk to on a daily basis. So even when you pitch a VC, I remember Tristan Walker, the founder of Bevel, when he was pitching his razor company when he was pitching the system that he was building a lot of them were white venture capitalists and they were like well razor bumps are not a problem because when black men shave they have a lot of razor bumps they get a lot of hair, uh, ingrown hairs so when they shave with the regular razor like a gillette or uh, a bic razor they get ingrown hairs So when he's pitching, he's like, well, a lot of people don't face that problem, you know, would rather go tackle skincare and acne. But Tristan's like, no, Black men face this problem. So talking to white VCs and explaining to them the businesses you're building, it's so hard for them to really understand because they lack context. They don't really, they're not in that culture to really understand why you're building, so they don't fund you, even though it's a great opportunity. So that's why you need more people of color in these spaces to really provide opportunities to tech entrepreneurs to really advance their businesses forward. The next thing is education. Uh, to expand your skills in coding and having access to these programs that can really bring on a lot more Black entrepreneurs. There's a lack of access to those things because they're very, uh, I mean, right now it's getting better, but generally for Black communities, like when you think of a Black community, they don't have exposure to math and science programs and coding and all these different things. All these things that coding and science and entering in technology, it's not exposed to marginalized groups and black communities so when they think about entrepreneurship they don't really know where to start so that's why you're seeing a lot of programs like black boys code black girls code code 2040 and even when you're an engineer it's so hard to get internships it's so hard to get positions if you're an engineer you've worked so hard to become an engineer to get a position as a developer because the prototypical look of a developer is white it's a white man So entering into technology is so hard for black people. And this is one thing that, you know, we can really track back to when we talk about economics of being black and having access to proper education. And what, how does education come from? It comes from living in the right places, uh, going to the right schools with good funding. So you can actually work to really build your, 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 your knowledge and you can go to class and, get proper schooling to go to these schools and actually study computer science and then actually become a developer or an entrepreneur to really build these technology companies. That's one of the things that we face is because <clears throat> historically, as we mentioned before, when Black people were coming in, they were integrating into society, they were redlined. So when red, what redlined means is there was a zone where Black people could live, where they could buy homes, and when they lived in these areas, they didn't have access to pro- to the right schooling, they didn't have access to loans as easy as they were to other white people, and this really held them back from getting right access to education and to right economic opportunities. So now, the Black families, especially the, the father figures in these families, they were in these neighborhoods which were just extremely tough. They were heavily policed and the only economic opportunities they had was to involve themselves in crime, low paying jobs where they can't even support their families where, and this is around the time the crack epidemic was starting around the Ronald Reagan era and crack was being placed in these neighborhoods. So now you have these fathers who are really trying to provide for their family they get caught, they're sentenced to jail. They have harsh penalties, years in jail for selling crack. Now you have mothers raising young boys and girls who have lack of access to education. And the only thing that can see as a way out is entertainment. So they don't have right the right school to go to. A lot of them drop out. They also get themselves into crime. They join gangs. And it's just like this repeating cycle of... These tough neighborhoods, these kids just doing the same thing over and over that generationally happened. So, how are you going to expect to get an education to go to Stanford if you were in that position, or to even go to college or even go to university? These families never went to college, they didn't even finish high school because all they were focused on was surviving. That's all the name of the game was, it was just survival every single day. So, now you have a group of black people who've never had access to opportunity and white people not all but you have some that just work hard and you'll make it how am i supposed to make it if i don't have the right opportunity you had to really allow you to get that education to be in that position to go build a microsoft or go build a facebook you had access which black people don't have access how is i going to get exposed to technology to math and science if i did not have Funding in my school to give us good textbooks, to give us great teachers who can teach us these things, right? So black people for set, for decades have been playing strugglenomics more than, than powernomics more than anything. So now there's a lack of entrepreneurs who are building businesses in spaces where they're the biggest consumers in technology, consuming tech, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everything that's in is brought up by Black influencers and Black creators and they never get the credit for it. So we are consumers, but we're not creators because being able to create needs access. And when you have access, you get education. When you get education, you can spot opportunities. And When you spot opportunities, you can create and you can build wealth and you can build businesses for your community and you can hire people who look like you. So being a black entrepreneur is so tough because you, especially we're talking about tech, but we can talk about other things like where the, the other services and fashion and, and all those products that we build. But to really build great companies, to build super great wealth in tech, which is right now, which is scalable, we don't have access to that, the education, there's no representation. So a lot of black entrepreneurs, they, they know what they do best, which is creating great services, building, creating great restaurants, brands, fashion brands, hair care products. Um, a lot of them are in the service, but to really, we need, we need Barbershops. people. Barbershops. Mm-hmm. We need people building companies. We need people building corporations and we need to do that. But to really catch up, man, It's going to take us some, it's going to take us a long time to get there. That's the sad part is because our starting line is so far behind because we're placed in unfavorable positions to take advantage of these things because there was no opportunity. Like it's, you were legit given a start way, like that is so, so behind that catching up. It's going to be our kids, our grandchildren who profit from the things that we're doing right now. Right, so a lot of Black people are, w- are waking up right now. And they're noticing these things, but that's how it's like being Black and, and building businesses. Because, as I said again, racism is tied to economics. It's tied to equity. It's tied to home ownership. It's tied to uh, uh, owning owning assets and businesses. But those things are so are so behind because of just historical. Uh, marginalization yeah. and we're trying, but to really catch up, to really make an impact where we can escape racism at work. We can have access to funding because we know other black people who can give us that funding. We're like 50 years behind, bro, you know, and white people, this is what we face. This is what we face on a continuous basis is racism, trying to get money. You're, you're faced more nose. You're trying to get a bank loan. Uh, it's harder they turn you away because you're black and it's all because of redlining that happened in the past and we're still marginalized till today so let's start uh talking towards
0: moving forward you know Mm -hmm. um what are when what do you think are some of the things we can do to become a better economic powerhouse as
1: black people in your opinion um a few things we can do is it starts, it starts from, to really, one thing we've got to address is to see the change we want to see now is we first got to establish that we're living through a broken system, right? Which is based on systematic oppression that to even really make a dent, it's going to take years of building and building and building to really remove that, those systematic barriers which are placed in front of us. But what we can do right now is we can start with education. We can start educating our kids, our friends, and putting them in positions to get the best education where they can spot the best opportunities. Second thing is ownership. Every Black family should start working towards building their own business. It doesn't have to be a mega mega corporation, but each family should start their own business. It could be a scale. It could be a shop. It could be a convenience store. It could be a farmer's market. These things matter. If you look at other groups, Chinese, a lot of these gr- convenience stores are owned by them, and also Indian families. So when they immigrate to Canada, they have an opportunity to hire people who look like them to give them a head start. What do Black people have? We don't have anything like that, right? So some
0: barbershops.
1: We own we some barbershops, but yeah. but that yeah, is but that is like but we need more of them we need more businesses which we can employ other people and it just starts with the home it starts educating your young kids about financial literacy you know as black people we're the lowest participants in the stock market stock market participation is extremely low right wealth is built through stock market investing and learning about how the stock market works because if you invest early on for your family Uh, as a man right now, like, you know, you and I, were 26, 27. We're investing our money. We're building this company. We can hire our own kids. We can build this into a massive business. And we pass this down to our families and they come work for the business and they hire other people who look like them. We provide opportunity. So it starts with educating the kids about ownership and thinking like owners and not just thinking like uh, consumers and and putting them in educational positions where they can spot opportunities and build from that because it takes a village. It takes small actions, but with small actions, they can amount to something big.
0: That's well, definitely really well, well said. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, need more ownership, um, need more laws put in place. And meaning why people stepping up as well, you know, um, to be an ally in this situation, um, one thing you could do is open up your network you know one thing that's been a consistent thread in our podcast is relationships
1: mm-hmm.
0: everything is built on relationships you know um so connecting each other with uh proper relationships that can get people to the next level you know so whether it be i'm <clears throat> sorry a guest on our podcast on our podcast you know if we're if, for example or um a manufacturer for a, a smaller brand so they can expand. Um, one thing that b- blew up Shea Moisture was meeting with the one person who was at Walmart who could put Shea butter across the nation. You know, um, More people, more connections, more revenue. It's, it's one of the simpler things um, that can make a stronger difference. So, we have a lot of our white um, audience who are asking, what can I do? Well, one thing you can do is open up your network. You can share content on social media, um, but share it in a meaningful way, which means posting actual videos and images, not just stories um, or quick hits of content, actual videos where people can get a uh, deep dive into what. Um, you're promoting and put their dollars behind it for one. Um, and that's just how you could add to entrepreneurship. We'll get into that and then the questions, though. I'm excited for it.
1: Um, yeah, man. And, um, yeah, like when we talk about relationships, mm-hmm. also opportunities, bro. You know, if mm-hmm. you have a positioning opening at work and you think about people you know reach out to your, your, your black friends first. Mm -hmm. See, Hey, like there's an opening at work. I think you're great at this position. Um, I think you would be great for it. So not saying just give handouts, but make sure like the person you are is qualified, but make sure that person is a black individual because they don't have that opportunity. They don't have access to get in that place because they're black. So make sure that you are providing these opportunities because one thing that stops black people is getting an in and everybody white always has an in first and foremost, you're white. You automatically, you automatically get an in. And if you think this is not important, ask yourself, why are there black groups, black lawyers of so uh, X, or doctors, black doctors, XXX. On Facebook, or, online, on LinkedIn. Exactly. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. Black fashion designers of Ryerson or whatever. Why yeah. is there a black societies everywhere in the world? Is because there's a lack of ins. Like, in. Like, I need an in to that organization. So if you black man get in there, you black woman get in there, I expect you to return the favor back. So that's why like they're, they're forming these groups together because to crack into white spaces is, is extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult because there's no person in there that looks like them. So when a black person gets in there, they want another black person to bring them back. But white people, you can do this by helping black person, a black person by first thinking of a person of color to bring on board when that position is opened.
0: Yeah. Um... A qualified person, most definitely. Um also when you're in the workplace and you hear of something being executed that doesn't sound right, um, you know, speak up. Speak up.
1: Speak out, man.
0: Um, if you think that it would you would take offense to it if it were you, um have the empathy to think, well, if, they, if I don't like this happen to me, then they shouldn't like happen to them. Um, Sometimes you might not be the person in the room. So invite that person into the room. You know, um, personally for me, um, I had an ad campaign that I was running for a client. Mm -hmm. um, And he actually wanted to do um, like a LGBT themed um, campaign. Um, And I was like, okay, you can think about this. Let me get back to you. Um, instead of me just trying to execute it myself and plan it out, um, I went to um, shout out to Brianne Bradshaw. Um, I, I said, hey, let's grab a coffee and let's talk about this. You know, this could be an opportunity for you. I'd like to bring you into the room and, and have you at the table uh, to say, all right, this is what you want to execute. This is unethical or this is ethical, but you should go about it doing it in this way. Mm-hmm. So um, we're still highlighting the product that you want to showcase, but doing it in an ethical way. So my group of people won't be offended by it um, and they can make the most money. Um, so some of the things to think about, some food for thought when it comes to um, operating on a day-to-day basis.
1: Yeah. And educate yourself. Educating yourself is important too. Um, white people live in a, in a space where, you know, you're living, like this is just a daily thing for you you're living. You're, you're enjoying your life you move, you do whatever. There's nothing you really feel uh, that you're being unbothered because that is why privilege, as we said. So just take an initiative to educate yourself with reading about the history, reading about why people are protesting, why, uh, how marginalization is like in the workplace. Uh, I mean, how, how marginalized groups are in the workspace and how you can, what you can do to make them feel comfortable because there's something called white fragility, and a lot of white people. It's uncomfortable for them to talk about race. So when a black person tries to educate so a white person on race, it's like immediate discomfort, and they don't want to talk about it. And um, they don't. Re- they can't. Re- it's like explaining. You know, talking about these things. It's it's, it's like t- telling a blind person the color red when they've never seen it before. So trying to really talk about it and articulating in a way that you can really simplify it, but really technically describe it, puts black people in a position where sometimes they're just like, you know, fuck it. I'm not even going to bother because you just don't get it. Um, so one thing you can do is educate yourself so you can make that conversation easier with a fellow black person. Yeah. Um,
0: and for that, we're going to have some resources in uh, the link below or in the description um, of the podcast with different resources to books, um, phrases used, um, where to donate. Uh, This is a really big resource on everything you're most likely looking for when it comes to um, just getting educated and unlearning what you might have been taught um, growing up. So make sure you check that out.
1: Yeah. No, have you covered everything? Are you ready to get into these white people questions? Um. First, we got a shout out to the people who started Black Lives Matter. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. Let's, let's do that. All right. Um.
0: It's actually funny enough. It's actually one of the questions is who started Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. So, um, let me get, let me pull that up. Man, Black Lives Matter. You, you know I haven't seen in a long time? Um, What's it? Uh, DeRay... Is Duray Mc-
1: Davis? Duray Duray McKesson. McKesson, yeah. McKesson, man. He's kind of been. Uh, he's been quiet. Like, I haven't seen him out here. You know, like, he's been really mum. <laughs> <laughs> this is the new need, word, eh? It's the new
0: word, bro. I'm giving you some game, bro. Don't some kill game. me. All right, man. So let me not be mum. Yeah. Well, Black Lives Matter comes from um, Alicia Garza and Patrice Colors. Um, and. Um, Opal Tometi I hope I'm pronouncing the name right um, Basically they created a black center political Will and movement Building uh, projects uh, Building a project called Black Lives Matter um, It was a response to the acquittal of Trayvon Martin's murderer George Zimmerman um, Basically That was the answer to the first question What, mm-hmm. Where does Black Lives Matter Come from um, So Let's get into more of these white people questions
1: yeah, so um, did we address where these questions came from, bro? Oh, okay, give us more context. So yeah.
0: basically, um, for this conversation, I reached out to people all online on Facebook and Instagram and just said, hey, um, you know, with everything going on, um, people tweeting or, and posting on Instagram and LinkedIn uh, black boxes uh, to show their solidarity with um, the current situations going on with George Floyd. Um, protest, I asked him, hey, is there any questions you want to ask um, to get more context into what's going on? Um, what dialogue do you want to have? Um, what, what can we have a dialogue about? You know." And I'm not mm-hmm. saying we have the answers. By no means are we the spokesperson for Black people. Um, we're simply trying to have a dialogue and try to educate people um, where we see fit. Um So yeah, so let's jump right in. So question one um, comes from Karen. Uh, I live in a white neighborhood. I have heard recently that black people rioting aren't doing themselves any favors and all lives matter in quotation marks. I think it'd be really helpful to address these two topics. So we kind of we definitely dug into this in the in the pod earlier, so we don't have to dive too deep here. Mm-hmm. Um, black people writing um, are doing themselves any favors. Um, one is garnered a ton of attention um, towards the George Floyd um, murders, with um, um, getting the cops arrested and um, getting them charged, um, and the charge moved up from murder three and manslaughter to murder two um and right now we're gonna see how that plays out you know um and honestly you know um protesting it is a challenging thing to defend because uh, not protesting sorry looting and rioting is a challenging thing to defend protesting is very easy to defend mm-hmm. um this because in regards to um, looting, of course, stealing from other companies, especially um, small uh, mom and pop shops, you know? Um, but the thing is that they have insurance, you know? Um, they'll be a fool not to have proper um, business insurance for their companies, you know? But there's actual lives being lost. And it's important that we don't just focus on the um, effects, we focus on the cause. The cause of this comes from um, black bodies not being treated seriously. You know, um, that and All Lives Matter. Well, we covered that. Um, Let's quickly cover that again. All Lives Matter um, was a rebuttal to Black Lives Matter because the thinking is Black Lives Matter more. But what we're saying is Black Lives Matter too. Um, Just saying that Black people need to be treated equally with other races. Um, So that's what
1: that is. And also, uh, just to add on to that, Mm-hmm. this whole black people aren't doing the rioting, aren't doing themselves any favors and looting. You also got to understand white people stole everything, right? So this whole thing about, oh, they're stealing, they're doing whatever. How about you ask yourself, like what you stole from many different groups? How about you, you ask yourself, Yo, you know, you stole this land from native people, right? You know, you stole a lot of creations, which were made by, black people and you claim them as yours and they never got any credit how about we start there how about you stole people's livelihoods not not livelihoods but you stole their bodies from africa and you brought them here and you stole free labor for 400 years how about we start there right so before you start saying you stole they're stealing they're doing everything check check your history first and ask who's the bigger looter out of all historically when it comes to history and our time by history it's white people they stole land they stole labor for 400 years they used this labor they enslaved people and they kept them marginalized for hundreds of years And you're getting frustrated just because a target is being rioted, which is highly insured and they can easily build that thing back up in three weeks.
0: Yep. And it's also getting the attention of the corporate companies um, that have the attention of people who can um, enact change, you know, so we'll see how it plays out, you know, right Mm -hmm. now, it's actually too early to see, to say how well the riots have um, been for um, creating success and,
1: fighting the racism in america so we have to wait it out and see We have to wait it out see but i'm happy that it's making people feel uncomfortable because you're taking notice and that's what people have black people have wanted is for you to take notice and if you're uncomfortable by it good we've accomplished our mission all right next question let's go next question let's do Uh, it i'm a white female
0: who grew up in suburbia we loved everyone, no matter what their skin color was. Our childhood best friend was a black family down the street. We called ourselves the Oreos, and as now, nowadays—sorry, she said nowadays—I'm guessing she said nowadays, she said nowadays mm-hmm. I would not be okay. As eight years old, an eight-year-old kid in '90s, we knew no better. It was a joke, and it was funny. So. I have.
1: Um, we're not. We're not there. We're not there. Uh, oh, is this still going on? Okay. Yeah, kay. yeah.
0: This is. This is. She. She wrote it. She wrote a. Because I uh, saw the
1: space, I thought that was another question.
0: Nah. I mean, oh, this goes on for a minute. All right. So, I have never thought of anyone different because of their color of their skin. I, admire, I admit. I have white privilege, and not because I am a racist. Uh, it's just with. It's just what comes with the color of my skin. I have never had to see a cop or fear for my life. I never had to worry about that. and as my heart breaks and guys, I'm reading this this is a quickly break. I, I'm reading this as she's t- she's tapping it. this was sent straight off messenger so uh yeah, bear with me yeah and and as my heart breaks for those who deal with this every day, I can never say. I know how it feels because I do not. I do not know what it's like to be judged. Before I even open my mouth, I don't know what it's like to have people clutch their purses or children closer to them as they walk by because I got too close. Yes, I know there's racism in this world. And yes, I know there's hate in the Theo world and my heart breaks for them. But I guess my question is what I don't understand is, why the violence? I personally don't understand how that makes the matters better. Yes, I agree, something has to be done, but I feel like they're tearing down their community and innocent people's livelihoods is being destroyed. I understand there's a lot of bad police, but why does that mean all is bad? The black community is judged because of the color of, their, of your skin. Yet, law enforcement community is judged because of the bad people in it. There are good cops as well. I don't know the answer to it. Like I said, I don't know what it feels like. So that's her question. Okay. Teresa. Teresa. I the Teresa. Teresa, Teresa. I changed the name to Protect the Innocent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. Well, we just addressed the predominant question that she asked: um, "Is there bad bad cops? Of course. Is there good cops? Of course." Um, I actually have a person in my family who is a cop. Shout out to them. Um, but yeah, we kind of addressed that this question. I thought it was a hilarious, a hilariously worded question. Um, <laughs> reading your so read read voice, out. man. Uh, you, you, like, you like that accent? I like that, you know bro my my in.
1: yeah um but yeah so like why like why the violence teresa
0: yeah go ahead
1: why the violence i mean you have to understand teresa that if you have been protesting peacefully so historically as i mentioned before there's Mm -hmm. been a lot of peaceful protests that's how it started i mean black people just don't come out and or any human who's upset about something Uh, start immediately raging out. Um, That's not how it works. Historically, peaceful protests have happened, as I mentioned before. And the reason there's violence is pent-up aggression over decades of things not changing. So when things don't change, how do you react? You act violent. And I'm sure uh, a lot of people who have been angry, upset, Over and over and over, you act violent. Imagine someone, kid on the the playing ground at recess, keeps attacking, attacking, attacking you. Yeah, you can tell them peacefully, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Over time, when you say stop doing that, you're going to reach your breaking point and you're going to incite violence. And that's what's going on with Black people right now is the violence is from us Stop killing us. Stop killing us. Stop killing us for decades. And it's not changing. We have done everything. We have peacefully protested. We have marched. We have, we have, uh, there's been breakouts and riots where people died um, from songs, from songs. We have done everything and anything to really get the attention of law enforcement and, lawmakers that this needs to change but nothing seems to change so when you see them acting violence like this is because of pent up and trauma that is built up for decades and they don't care we don't care and now that we don't care we don't care what happens like as i said again it was the thing That's was another thing she said is the black community is judged because of the color of your skin yet the law enforcement is judged because of the bad people in it so if uh, if if bad people keep showing up in an organization and yet to look at what we historically spoke about with slave patrols and what they meant towards slavery and how slave patrols became modern law enforcement you can see how this is a systemic issue of white males entering the police force and using it as an avenue to really show their anger, show their dislike, their hate for Black people. And it's the best way to get away with murder because you're protected by laws. And the laws who, the lawmakers are people who are also inciting that violence because the jail system is a private business. And it's also a business that's traded it's on the stock market as well. So it's incentivized for inmates and people to go in these communities and arrest and give these uh, you know, arrests and incarcerate them because it fills their pockets. So even though the lawmakers are hearing this, they're like, ah, I mean, it's filling our pockets, so let's keep doing it. And now they keep doing it. Okay, we're going to keep killing it because I don't like black people. The less of them here, the better. So it's a a vicious cycle. So we're looking for answers. And the longer this goes on, the longer you're going to keep seeing the violence because we are at our breaking point and we don't care anymore. Uh, Collectively as a race, we've had it and we want things to change now. We're putting our foot down and that's why the way this George Floyd case happened is because of this historic systematic racism so there are good cops for sure and people who go in it just to have a great vocation is in a great career but hey a majority of these people see it as a way to commit crime and and be bad people and they ruin it for other cops but it takes the whole cops to really make change so there you go it's the system. The
0: system of being a cop was
1: created, like
0: we mentioned, out of um, uh, out of evil. You know, so now addressing it, it needs restructuring to adjust to modern society. At mm-hmm. the end of the day, um, the origins of what cops believe it to be um, are rooted in good. You know, and and law and order. But unfortunately, the system that is created around it, the system of having to meet quotas at the end of the month and leveraging poor communities to uh, meet those quotas or stay overtime um, just to make more money um, and uh, leverage the poor people and the quotas at the end of the month to get to work overtime to hit those goals so you can make more money as a cop is a flawed system. And it perpetuates the uh, lessening of Black lives. So it needs, needs to be changed and needs to be reassessed and um, restructured from the ground up. All right, mm-hmm. next question. Gabriel, first, in your opinion, what is the best way for white people to support the BLM movement and the allies? Secondly, I think a lot of white people struggle to acknowledge the privilege they have and white privilege is very real. So my question is, how would you explain white privilege to a person who feels this way? All right. So we kind of, we definitely answered the second question. So we're just going to skip over that. Um, for the first. Well,
1: what did they say? Like the white the white privilege, right? Yeah. So how do you explain white privilege for a person who feels we, we this ans- way?
0: We answered this like three times, bro.
1: We did, but <laughs> let, me, let, me, let, let me give another example because there's another example uh, sure. we have here, right? Okay, go ahead. So um, you have to see white privilege as the new normal again. So it's like products, you go to the grocery store, there's a variety of food options that reflect the cultural traditions of white people. That's white privilege. So white people, they, they move through the world uh, with an expectation that their needs are already readily met. And people of color and Black people move through the world knowing that their needs are on the margins. So recognizing this means that that's where the gap exists, and that's why you live in a white society. And lastly is the benefit of the doubt. Positive portrayals of people who look like them on the news, on TV, in shows and movies, uh, it's all white. Uh, They're treated as individuals. Uh, rather than as a representative of a stereotype racial identity. And they're more humanized and given the benefit of the doubt. So they receive compassion and Black people don't receive the same compassion as well either. So that's what the white privilege that you get and people, that's the best way I can, I can really show you is everything is catered to you. Going back again, there's a hair care aisle and you expect the hair care products that are fit for you. But if you have a different hair care, like... Like us as black men, it's we go to the ethnic aisle. So imagine that's the new normal for you. That's how you live and you expect things to be ready for you. The hair gel, it's there for you, but there's no black hair gel. You have to go to the ethnic aisle or you have to go to an ethnic store. So everything is catered for you because you're white. And this is what that privilege you're living in is. And that's how you recognize that white privilege.
0: Nice. Yes. Um, for Now what are the best ways that people can support the BLM movement? So in the description, we're going to have a resource for you uh, that has donation links that has um, terminologies, books, podcasts, movies, TV shows to watch that can help you unlearn um, the teachings that you might have been taught um, and it could be affecting your life. And, assisting in being a part of the BLM movement and to be an ally. Three main ways you can support the BLM movement or just Black people overall is one, by Black economics. That means, like we mentioned earlier, extending your um, network to Black people, showcasing Black businesses, and putting your dollars towards Black businesses. Number two is supporting Black art. Art is a representation of the time and art lasts a lifetime, more than a lifetime. There's still art in museums now that um, have lived on for generations and generations. Supporting Black art as low barrier as it may sound actually makes a huge difference in supporting the thoughts and the nature of society. So supporting Black art is a huge one. And creating a uh, mass culture around the art makes a strong difference and increases the value of creatives' lives. So for instance, because of Basquiat, um, there is a culture in New York, to this day, that is people looking for the next Basquiat or the next um, artists that can portray society in a positive light. Now, moving forward, another option to support Black people is opportunities. If you've seen opportunities that match a creator that you know, stand up and pass the opportunity to someone that you know of a uh, has melanin that is a Black person that um, is a proper suit for that role. Providing opportunities is a great way to support the BLM movement.
1: Anything you want to add on? I think that's everything you can do. Um it starts from supporting us and supporting our businesses so we can hire more people and build on top of what we already have. Because you know, we need we need more other people like spending money with us so we can grow our community we can hire other people and we can economically grow because we're far behind and understanding that is the first step most definitely now
0: um becca yeah. actually let's make up a name what name would you like to call this person anything come to mind
1: uh katie let's katie. call her katie katie right,
0: boom Katie, I'd love to hear you discuss tokenism. Why it's offensive and how to reframe questions to further discuss or rather to further discussion, sorry, rather than throw up unintended walls. I hope this is taken in the spirit in which I'm reaching out in love, heartbreak, and truly wanting to be a better ally. Also, I do truly want to know where my donations will be best served, who is doing the most good with the donations being received or where can the money do the most good. Oh, and have you had a chance
1: to donate? Uh not yet. Uh, I mean, I'm overcoming the 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 worst of the worst of like the feeling. So my focus this week is to donate to petition and uh part I'm more focused on the things that economically move black people and one of the things is a 15% initiative. So allowing big businesses whole foods targets to dedicate 15% of their shelves to Black-owned businesses. But um, this week is where I plan on donating, which I will donate a a good amount of money. But uh, yeah. Awesome. Um,
0: So tokenism, Um, for anyone who doesn't know, tokenism is um, picking one specific person or a small amount of people to join a a, a group of white or non-Black people. to meet quotas um to prove its diversity but in actuality it's not it's because it's one person to meet a quota um and more most of the time that person is not in a a role that can contribute to change in that corporation um so tokenism man tokenism is definitely been real um and I've, i've witnessed it i've I've gotten chose before and had to discover that I was a token and walked my way out. Um, and it's an unfortunate but fortunate situation because even with tokenism sometimes, when you do have that seat at the table, you can leverage that seat at the table to bring more people in and you can leverage it to, um, you know, have change in the in the business you're in. So it's a, it's a weird spots being Oh, Have you ever been
1: a token? Oh, of course. (laughs) You know, being, um, working in, in startups, you know, I'm, I'm in tech. So a lot of these companies, there's not a lot of people that look like you. So you're the one black person that can say, yeah, at least we're diverse. We have one black person, but it's so uncomfortable, man. It's so uncomfortable because you got to move differently. Have you seen a SpongeBob meme where, He's standing beside a wall and then it's like he's taking a break and he's kind of like, uh, it's like he's dodged someone and he's taking a break. He's like, damn, I just, I can't believe I got away from that. It's like for black people, uh, black men and women, being the only black person in a white space, it's tough. You know, there's a lot of things. I think we, we touched upon it before, but you got to move different. As Alex said, code switching. And uh, I've been a token black guy before. Uh, I've been a token Black guy in school growing up in in Southern Ontario. So, you know, we're the only like handful of Black families in the city. So being the only, the person who white people refer, I have a Black friend. You know, I was that guy. Like, you know, like they don't know anything. They live in a white space and they have that one Black friend. I was that guy. So I've, I've experienced it from all levels, from the work level and to a school level too and um yeah it's just a way to fill out the diversity quota as you said al
0: yep yes indeed all right moving on all right and this one i'll name lizzie like lizzie Lizzie i have a big lizzie mcguire i have (laughs) a big question as an entrepreneur i've been spending a lot of time the last few days thinking of ways our brand can support the cause something permanent and meaningful. I'm wondering what kinds of things small brands can do in addition to being an ally and showing support. I ordered a bunch of black wire to make uh, these rings and I'm going to offer them for free for people to wear as a symbol of support. Also going to include a black square sticker Again, a very small but meaningful indication for people to show they are an ally. I'd also like to develop an onyx collection that all profits will benefit a cause. So you have to choose one or a few. Onyx is a really cool black stone that represents transformation energy from negative to positive.
1: Mm. I'm all about positive energy, bro. You know that. I'm about positive energy, but I don't know about no onyx
0: stone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
1: um, know what, a, what I don't know what an onyx stone is. Can you like uh, educate stone. It's like a stone.
0: It's like a jewelry piece. It's a, so it's a jewelry business. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, all right. So for this, I'll create a jewelry line um, and have a black square sticker. Oh, matter of fact, we didn't touch on that. What do you think of the Black Square
1: sticker, man? Oh, shit. The black oh, squares my God. On the Let's Russ, talk about that. talk about freaking Black Square. Yo, okay, the, the, the thing about the Black Square, um, first and foremost, I want to applaud everybody who posted a Black Square. I mean, it showed that you really cared uh, and you really are, you know, being an allyship with Black people, but I just felt as if it was a quick way just to really post something. And my friend Simi tweeted something that I totally agree with. Let me read out her tweet. Uh, She was saying that she says, fine, I'll just say, if this black square is the one and only thing you've posted, I'm judging you. Doesn't seem genuine. Seems more of like a guilt post with a dash of FOMO. And that's how I feel. I feel like a lot of people. I I saw a lot of people, my friends, uh, people I know, who they did not say shit the whole week, did not say anything with regards to Black Lives Matter or anything like that. They just posted a black square, said Black Tuesday, and it's just a way just to say I did my part, I reached my solidarity quota. All right, time back to 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 movement, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. and then this other. My One of my favorite Twitter uh, friends, uh, his name is uh, Mr. Sticks. He's like, so Tuesday has passed and we're still Black. So to everyone who wanted to play ally yesterday, I hope you keep that same energy for yourselves, your peers, your employers, and your families, because our oppression isn't a trend. This is a day-to-day reality. Understand that. And that's what we, like, went viral, right? So one thing I hated about it is, is it became a trend and just said Blackout Tuesday, but it would have been so much more powerful if people actually use their voice and actually were angry, let's say when a dog dies or there is a, you know, what happened in Paris. You know, when white people have some tragedy happen, they all come together. You know, they come together like the support, they change their Facebook photos and everything like that. And they speak about it in such passion. Black, a lot of people, and white people, I'll give you credit, you did speak up. But there's a lot of people who just felt like, let me just toss this up as a way just to not miss out on this and not be seen as the person who didn't post a black square. It was just such an easy thing to do and just say Black Tuesday. And you got, you got your, your ratings for that. You got your brownie points. And that was that. So... I want to, yeah, overall, I want to see people keep that same energy in places where you're not being seen on social. That's where the change is going to be. This whole thing right now, like a lot of people are getting on board, but who knows if it's going to stick, who knows if it's going to be something that is persistent where people notice these things and say something and not something that now there's a lot of social pressure. You're kind of caving in and retweeting some things and, just saying Black Lives Matter, but like actually voice out your thoughts, talk to your friends and say, hey, I'm going to collectively bring my friends together. We're going to talk about how we can help Black people, how we can use our platform. If you're a writer and you predominantly cover, and I saw this too, a lot of Raptor writers I follow, they write about the Raptors and basketball, Like, you make money off Black athletes. And then the week where the Black community the, the people, the group that you make money off, you don't say shit. And then they got the pressure from people and then they start tweeting some stuff when it's like days later. But you know what I mean? It's those type of things. And those are the type of people I'm talking about. They post that black square and they feel like they hit their solidarity quota. Mm, so
0: overall, do you think it's a, a net positive or net negative?
1: It's a positive where I feel like this is the most we've had non-blacks participate in a movement, which was really about a black man or woman dying from being murdered by police, which I really love. But overall, I still feel as if like it's an in-between I'll give it like a, a B minus I'd say, because I don't feel like as if people really truly voiced out how they felt they just kind of did it just for not missing out so it's like a quasi net positive i'd say
0: yeah uh i i can agree i think it's a net positive um i think right now the follow-up is needed is is was is uh is, is the necessity you know um the only time i think we saw something similar to this was with fire festival where um, he made I forget the guy's name Bobby McFarland um, yeah whatever his name is um, he had all those models you know um, tweet the, or sorry um, post um, the orange square on Instagram that went yeah. viral and had everyone inquiring about the orange um, tile right mm-hmm. or square and what he did was smart is that he had the follow up he had the call to action to uh join the firefest festival and um actually take part and that ended up selling out the festival you know that was one of his core marketing campaigns mm-hmm. you know I think so that's, that's what's like, missing here is the follow-up you know follow-up. putting on the putting on the the marketing uh you know put, uh, turning on the marketing brain uh,
1: the call to action bro like the call, call to, to action, action
0: exactly is the follow-up and so what was, what was funny is that actually a lot of these questions um spawned from the black tile where i asked um people said hey i, I noticed you post the black tile do you have any questions you know mm-hmm. um and that's what warned a lot of people to, to talk you know so um i think having a follow-up a call to action now you've posted the black tile okay now do this you know, looking mm-hmm. at it as a top of funnel, going to going back into marketing, a top of funnel action where you have someone do something small to end up with a bigger change, mm-hmm. you know, um, or to convert them, you know. So now they realize like a lot of people that were in the middle uh, posted this tile to uh, fit in, you know, f- have the FOMO, like you said. All right, now repost a story of, uh, Alton Sterling, Barack, Starz, Ob- Barack yeah. Obama, you know. Um, now let's let's, let's 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 keep the same energy going. You know, now that we have this, I think if we can continue the follow up, then it's a net positive, and it only can go up. You know, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people that weren't watching it are now now watching it. You know, um, some of my clients that have um, Instagram feed that were blank before because of this now have a black feed, you know? So now they're more aware of what's going on. So mm-hmm. um, in terms of awareness, it worked. It spread awareness. It, was it service level? Yeah, it was service level. But all the times you need service level to to start and bring people down, down the path. So yeah. um, if we can follow up correctly, I think this can be actually a, a smart campaign. But mm-hmm. r- right now, that's the, that's the, my main
1: issues. All right, can we follow up correctly? Yeah, I think right now we got we got gas, right? Yeah. We've never had gas like this before. Yeah. Right? right now we're running on F before we were running on E because mm-hmm. it's the same thing over and over. So I think right now there's a window which exists and we got to really capitalize on this window with everybody feeling the emotions they're feeling right now. And drive them towards now, hey, guys, now we got your awareness, like in Ida, in marketing, attention, interest. What's the D stand for again? Um, um, decision and action. Decision and action, right? So now we need to make a decision on where they can go and then drive it to action. From that action, I think we're going to get some, some results. Because... We also got to give white people some slack on this this is the first time they're doing this and as we covered before in the show they don't they, they're not becoming aware of the privilege that they have so now they're just kind of waiting for us to guide them and um guiding them is gonna is it's on people like us having this conversation and using our platform to really direct them to resources that exist where they can take that action
0: most definitely all right so we didn't even answer the question really so Um, in addition to being an ally, how can she show support? All right. So with her business, um, I suggest not taking this route of having the onyx bracelet and or ring as her (laughs) black lives matter collection. Um, even if it's for free, um, I would suggest partnering with a, a black jewelry designer. Um, I would suggest opening up her network to people, um, of color to, um, give them opportunity, you know? Um, an, an example of that could be teaching somebody how do you Shopify, if you on Shopify. Uh, an example of that could be um, showing somebody who wants to be a jewelry designer um, how to create jewelry, how to, um, I guess, make purchase orders, and I guess the lessons behind the jewelry designer so they can have the, that knowledge for themselves to um, operate their own business. You know, um, if you can't give
1: or buy, teach. Mm -hmm. That would be my suggestion. That's a great point, man, because I also saw celebrity jewelry designer, Ben Baller. He Mm -hmm. tweeted about two weeks ago saying, I've never, I don't see any black jewelers in the business. And people were saying, you know what? This is your opportunity since you are well known to mentor a up and coming jeweler. Who wants to be a jeweler, showing them the ropes and providing them with access to different places which they cannot have access to because there's, it's not a really black space. So I think what this, uh, what she can do is simply what you said, bro, which is great. Yes, yes, yes.
0: Next question. Uh, we answered this one already. Um, Greg asked, What's the root of racism? We asked that earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, Pete asked, How do you? think the black community for that matter if all communities were responsible if the jury doesn't find him guilty of murder to an intentional
1: murder. Man if <laughs> oh so, shit so if that happens yeah um oh, man shit's gonna it's just gonna get real shit's gonna get real like legit uh when we say all hell breaks loose like we're legit <laughs> See, all hell breaking loose, man. Mm -hmm. Um, Black people are going to, it's going to be an actual race war. I
0: You think so? That's
1: what you think? Man, think about it. Like, imagine this, it comes out again and how, imagine all that anger and tension built up and it results in those results. I would feel some type of way, man. You know, I would, I mean, from us from here in Canada, it's so hard to know what's going to happen because, you know, like our stuff is, we're protesting, but it's still peaceful in a way. But areas where there's been some rioting and everything that's going on, you'll see that 10x immediately. Um, It's going to be... It's gonna be us versus them. That's what's gonna happen. Unfortunately, um,
0: yeah, I don't, I don't want to think about what happens if he's not,
1: uh, if he's found not guilty. I put it yeah. like that. Yeah, you know, you, I, when you, when you think becomes true. So let's think positive and think of exactly. him as getting justice so. instead of thinking the worst case. So because we don't want that at the end of the day, and exactly. we don't want to witness that because it's, it's going to be bad.
0: All right. Uh, this person asked uh, your thoughts on a new tax relief and subsidized free slash oh, subsidized slash free higher education for impoverished African-Americans as a form of restitution. I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. I'm all for it. Um, especially now, I think this is the easiest time to execute that because the programs can be given to people for free. Um, whether it be online programs or having um, subsidies for teachers, um, uh, or grants for um, universities where they can have um, free tuition, free schooling, free courses um, that are relative to specific niches that they want to get into, you know, um, mm-hmm. I think there's a great
1: opportunity for that. Yeah, I I feel like that is a great opportunity. Um at the end of the day, like it's still it's a great step, but we all know what's most important with uh restitution is you know reparations. Um, I think every black person would love to see that happen because that'll be a trillion dollar payout to black people. And that's what matters the most because they're older people who've seen the worst and they got nothing from it. And they live with that mental trauma for years. So Education is great, but let's think about what's important here is we still have a bill on building America, and that is in the trillions of dollars, and that needs to be paid up. And it's a past due bill, which we're still talking about getting it paid, but that will solve a lot of things, a lot, a lot of things, because when that is paid out, we can actually catch up economically um, and start building our own things. Now that we have that funding, we can actually go out and buy land and have ownership and, and get our own systems going where we don't have to be marginalized anymore. Still attitudes, they're still gonna exist, but having that money distributed among black people in America is gonna do so much. And once that happens, education isn't a problem because now we have access. Mm-hmm. All right, um,
0: next question. What are the top three things black people want to change? Like at a tactical level, how will these be done? And what are black people's thoughts on the solution they want to see? First things first, I just want to say, I'm not the spokesperson for black people. Um, mm-hmm. I am not the mind behind the uh,
1: method of everything. you know not the, you know, the I, black ambassador.
0: The black ambassador, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, Please don't put me me there. We're not claiming to be um, that by any means necessary. We're not that. Um, What I would like to see, not what black people like to see, I like to see economic change, education change, and law change. Um, Those are my three, personally. Um, Laws, I'd say harsher laws for um, or in policies for police that um, avoid due process and kill somebody um, now that we have body cams, you can easily attest to somebody not um, following proper procedure, like shown with um, how many i 'm trying to like think of a specific name, but then somebody came to mind um, like with Mike Brown, like with mm-hmm um george floyd like with uh so many people um yeah i don't want to get into all those names it's gonna make me sad now but yeah Mm -hmm. uh having actual policy in place And and for economics i'd say specific grants um and opportunities for businesses you know i would say uh um putting forth actual um it, incentives for black business you know um incentivizing them to start um and incentivizing them to continue um mm-hmm. if they fail or making bankruptcy easier to apply for um so they can rejuvenate their business and get back um to where they need to be Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of like a like a high level thought process um on my end.
1: What do you think Owen? I think those are great things that you mentioned. Yeah. Um those are great for starting points to add to that. I I echo the same feelings. Uh I I'd really want to invest in black neighborhoods and black schools. Yeah. First and foremost, investing in black neighborhoods this means actually the government really getting behind black neighborhoods and black leaders and investing by building better schools, building better housing, uh, because a lot of what's going on right now is a lot of what you see is gentrification. A lot of Black neighborhoods, a lot of them are being pressed out and they're being they're bringing things that, they're destroying these neighborhoods just to build up a Starbucks, just to build up a shopping center. And they're, they're destroying all that. So I love to see, Policymakers and 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 funding going towards reconstruction of black neighborhoods and putting the the right funding, the right systems in place to really help black people flourish and have the access to education funding and most importantly healthcare. Healthcare is a big one, especially for black women too. Uh, You know, black women are the the group of women who they don't get their needs really attended to. Uh, when a black woman says that they have pain issues, it's treated as if like, hey, that is, they is—they're not. They don't really bother attending to them. Pregnancies for black women too. These are things that they don't really look into. So a lot of women who are black giving birth, there's a chance of them dying. So investing in the right healthcare system in these areas where and neighborhoods where Black women are at is going to be important. And lastly, is the reform and police. If, you know, something needs to change from that level, if it's reform some type of way or how people become police, because we have to look at how do you become a police officer compared to being a doctor, right? Being a doctor, you go through rigorous schooling to become a doctor, but then to become a cop, Here in Ontario is like police foundations and then a couple more things. You do some gun training, but they don't really look. I mean, I know they do psychological training, but they don't really do a deep background check of why, you know, they these men and women are, right? So doing that is gonna be a big thing. And then finding reasons do you really need a gun to be a cop? Right? Like all the things that you do, is it you need a cop but like is there a reason to use a gun if there's a gun being used i think if it's used it's you know like it's something that needs to be looked deep if you really had to shoot that person and there's a body cam and everything there needs to be laws and and rules and regulation placed upon gun use for police officers right now it just feels like it's like a free for all and the excuse they use behind it is i was fearful for my life but then you look at the camera and there's like nothing to be fearful for. Like, Fernando Castillo, how are you going to shoot a guy and he's in his car? What is he going to do to you? And he's like, he's there with his kid and his wife. Stuff like that is going to make a huge difference. Yeah, most definitely. All right. And
0: that wraps up our questions. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for sticking with us throughout this mm-hmm. ride. We appreciate you. I hope you learned something. I hope you gain more knowledge. Uh, As Victor is wrapping up, make sure to follow us on Instagram at 247Hustler. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at 247Hustlers, on Facebook at hustleovereverything.co, and our website, hustleovereverything.co, where we have merch and our email newsletter called the 247 Hustle, where we uh, have a look into the news through an entrepreneurial lens, covering sports, music, and culture. Um, It's a great email. We already have around 3,000 people subscribed to our newsletter. It's a beautiful thing. So make sure you subscribe and check us out. Um, Is there any other housekeeping items on? Oh, a link in the description. If you'd like to support our Black-owned business, you can hit the Mm -hmm. link in the description below. And check that out. Um, Any donation, we'd be grateful um, for your support. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much in advance. And lastly, um, once again, the resource um, includes books, donation um, options, terminology, uh, shows to watch. Everything you need is going to be in the resource below. So make sure you check that out as well.
1: Yeah. And also we, as a business to support us, you know, we have a lot of, we sell a lot of great products, uh, a lot of clothing, sweaters, t-shirts, hats, mugs, stickers, bags, uh, a lot of uh, hustle items, you know, whatever it is to show your support and what we're doing. I would really love to have that support and just sharing. I think, you know, we, we spend a lot of time creating this content and everything we do, what can really help us is just sharing that content out with people and just buying, uh, our, our product. Uh, we're not begging you, but we strongly ask for you to, to look into it and, and just support because it takes, uh, it takes, uh, it takes some time to really get this stuff out and, uh, we'll definitely appreciate your help uh, by supporting that and sharing and sharing this podcast as well, because, uh, this is a conversation we need to have. And, you know, we had this conversation. So we'd love for you to share it as well. If you help, if it helped you, it can help someone else as well. Most definitely. If you posted the black square, share this
0: conversation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Most definitely. Well, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, I'm Alexander. I'm Owen Osinde. And this is the Hustle Over Everything
1: podcast. We'll Peace. talk to you soon. Peace out.